May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I suspect, like most of you, we have passions in our lives. Things that really drive us, that motivate us, that get us excited. For me, despite the loss last night to Georgia, I'm a diehard Missouri football fan. I'm a sucker for wooden boats, and I've been building a classical music collection since I was a teenager. But those who know me best, members of my family, my closest friends, would tell you first and foremost, I'm a political junkie. I love to muck around public policy. I enjoy serious political debate. And I'm personally committed to advocating for those with no voice, those who've been stifled, those who've been broken. As you'll come to know and appreciate, my sermons often have political overtones. But I'd like to think, as a priest, I'm not a one-trick pony. I've got some other context, some other way that I can help relate Jesus the Christ to the world in which you and I inhabit. So I tried this week. I really tried. <laughs> Seriously, I really tried. But alas, I struck out. You see, I got stuck on the manager's decision to do whatever was necessary to make certain that he had a soft landing when he was fired by the boss for squandering his money. Try though I might to find a different illustration, I kept coming back to the behavior of politicians. No offense, Joe. <laughs> Members of Congress regularly support various business groups with friendly legislation and then, surprise, they go to work for them when they resign. State legislators vie for consulting opportunities and lucrative state commissions when they retire. And as many of us know, far too many of our local elected officials have found themselves on the other side of the law. Now mind you, Jesus' parable this morning was about a businessman, not a politician. But the behavior was the same. The critical question that Jesus asked his disciples and that he asks you and me this morning is to wrestle with something that he appears to not only tolerate but to condone. To wrestle with behavior that seems to us to be deplorable but behavior that Jesus seems to applaud. Now, the situation that Jesus described in Luke's Gospel is as fascinating as it is complex. Apparently, friends of a wealthy man informed him that the man who was managing his property and money was squandering it. We're left to imagine precisely what he was doing, perhaps skimming some of the money for himself, making bad investments decisions, or simply being careless and frittering away the boss's assets. In any case, 
The manager was either woefully incompetent or a downright thief. So his boss calls him in, dresses him down, and demands a full accounting before he's dismissed. The manager is left to ponder his predicament and quickly realizes that the only skill he really has is backroom double dealing. So he sets out to ensure that he has a soft landing. And he does this by writing down the debts of two people who owed his master. Now face it, this guy is a genius. He's brilliant. The boss will be repaid and likely none the wiser for the fact that he was actually owed more. And the manager will have made friends who presumably will remember his generosity when he needs a favor. Ah. But the master was no fool. After all, he was a skilled businessman himself. How else could he have accumulated so much wealth as to be able to hire a portfolio manager? And the disciples who were listening to this parable, as well as us, would logically expect the master to be furious when he discovered what the manager had done. But no. Instead, the master congratulates the manager for his shrewdness, for figuring out a creative solution to his pending unemployment. Despite the fact that the, man the manager had cost the master a lot of money, the master had to give the devil his due. The manager was indeed neither incompetent or lazy, just uniquely crafty. But dear friends, if the master's response was a surprise, think about Jesus' comments about it. Not only does he not denounce it, he seems to embrace it, noting that the children of this age, like the manager, are more shrewd than the children of the light, his own disciples. He then seems to encourage exactly the same duplicitous behavior as the managers by calling on them to make friends using money fraudulently obtained so that they too might have a soft landing in their eternal home. Really? Really? This is just not right. Surely, Jesus is not advocating for us to join a group of Wall Street swindlers and politicians dishonestly feathering our own nests. Is he? In fact, he's not. Even if a portion of today's gospel seems to suggest otherwise. Jesus' focus is not on the dishonesty of the manager's actions. And it's not this unscrupulous behavior that he condones. Rather, his point to the disciples and to us relates to the manager's shrewdness, his creativity, his absolute single-mindedness in pursuing a goal. Jesus is imploring his disciples, the children of light, 
to be every bit as committed and energetic in pursuing their faith as the children of the world, like the manager, are in pursuing material wealth. For Jesus and his disciples, this is a parable about our priorities and our willingness to put everything else aside for them. There's probably no better illustration of priorities in the life of the church than to listen attentively to the words of Pope Francis in his homilies, his speeches, his interviews on airplanes. Regularly, he engages people and reminds them that we've had vexing and large arguments about gender relationships, about the celibacy of clergy, about abortion, about countless issues. And he acknowledges that they're important. But they're not the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are distractions. And if we allow ourselves as the church to get caught up in superfluous issues, to be distracted, not to set our priorities clearly focused on God and the work God would have us do, we lose everything. Now, mind you, the Pope, nor I, nor anyone else is not suggesting that we don't advocate tirelessly for justice, for equality, for fairness. What Jesus is suggesting this morning is to set our priorities. We can't have two most important things in our lives. It can only be one. Jesus is inviting you and me this morning to make that choice. For the priority in our lives to be the worship, the love, the service of God in the presence of Jesus Christ. He's inviting us to leave this building enriched at this table with hearts of love and hands of care and service. That's the master we're to serve. The master of the Christ. May it be so for you.